You're listening to Dramas Over Flowers. This is an episode of The Spoiled Yak with Anissa and friends. Hi, I'm Saya, and it's my pleasure and my solace to introduce this episode that is all about Stranger 2, though sadly I couldn't be there. Anissa reconvenes with Yuna and Lee Tennant, with whom we covered the show on our blog, doing weekly reviews as it aired from August to October. The dust has settled slightly on the show and our feelings, and we take a bit of quiet time to examine the execution of its second season some three years down the line from the first. We compare the two and look more closely at season two's overarching themes and what lasting impressions they left on us. Since I was a listener this time, but I get a bit of space on the soapbox, I want to leave you with how I felt as the girls drew their discussion to a close, because it's a surprisingly hopeful note, and perhaps that's something we need a bit more of in this rather grim year. And that is, be the Shimok and the Yojin you want to see in the world. This episode was produced thanks to the support of our beloved Patreon members. You can find our page at patreon.com slash dramasoverflowers. Our thanks also and always to you, dear listeners, for your presence and support. And now, on to the spoiling. Hi everyone, I'm Anissa, and thanks for joining us for this spoiled yak about Forest of Secrets, also known as Stranger, Season 2. And I'm really excited to have with me two guests today who have also um, were really generous with their time and they wrote with us those weekly recaps i don't guess they were more like reviews Mm. of um stranger season two and um and that's yuna and lee tenant so can you introduce yourselves Uh, hi everyone i'm lee tenant hi this is yuna hi guys so excited to have you here we've had both of you as guests before but this is the first time we're having you both in the same episode so Mm. it's great to have you both thanks for having us Yeah, and thank you for waking up early slash staying up late in your time zones. We really, really appreciate it. Anything for Forest of Secrets Season (laughs) 2. So let's actually talk about that first, because I feel like in the time since Season 1 came out, um, I remember when Season 1 came out, it aired in Korea, and then like it kind of dropped all at once, at least where I live in the U.S., like Mm -hmm. after it was over under the name Stranger. And we were all like, ugh, because the Korean title is Force of Secrets. And so I think we all kind of agreed that we like the Force of Secrets title better. Mm-hmm. But um, Yuna, you shared an interview with me where you want to tell us about that? Sure. Yeah, I feel like anytime there's like a weird, bizarre title change in English, we just assume that it was like the horrible choice of the broadcaster but um in that interview stranger was actually the writer Yusuan's initial choice as the title but then she stated that it felt a little too ambiguous so she went with forest of secrets ultimately she's glad that stranger was still kept as like the english title for um, the western audiences but yeah, I'm still firmly team Forest of Secrets. I also think Stranger is like really, really vague. But it was interesting to hear that Stranger wasn't a choice made by like TVN or Netflix, but um, it was already in her head from the beginning. Yeah, it's rare that that happens because usually it's like they turn Age of Youth into Hello, My, oh, my 20s. 20s. Yeah, I'm still mad about that. <laughs> that one's horrible. Uh, oh, there's some really bad ones. Jealousy Incarnate that got turned into Don't Dare to Dream, which is the worst. That's the worst, right? It's the worst. Like, how? (laughs) Yeah. There are some really, really painful ones. Especially when, um, like, I understand when there's a case, like, um, The Spies Who Loved Me, which is airing right now. It's, the Korean title is The Spy Who Loved Me. So, like, obviously they can't have the same title. That's, like, a really famous American movie. But sometimes you're just, like, this mystifying choice. Don't, I don't get it. So, yeah, but yeah, I mean, we have seen how this production team really does seem to give creative freedom to the writer as far as we can tell. So that's pretty cool. For sure. I uh, preferred Forest of Secrets as a title, obviously, as everyone did. And when it when it was on Netflix as Stranger, I thought like everyone did. This is I don't like this at all. But, uh, you know, now that I've seen two seasons of it, I actually get where Stranger came from. I'm, it's it's grown on me, actually, as a title. I think I still prefer Forest of Secrets, but I, I get where she's coming from with Stranger now, and I think I it's grown on me quite a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. And I think, like, the internet uh, 
the dialogue around it or whatever. Like people now I see a lot more people referring to it as stranger and hardly anyone using the old name. Except for us. <laughs> we even we had to like when we were titling the posts, we, were, we had to just make the decision to call it stranger because we're like people aren't going to be able to find this under the name Forest of Secrets. Yeah, the only reason I'm like still mad about strangers because if people are watching from Netflix, there's like, I'm pretty sure there's another show that's called Stranger that's not a Korean drama. And I feel like there could be some confusion there. I don't know how that show is. But I think the writer when she came up with Stranger that was used to describe Shimok because he's someone that you don't like come across normally Mm. um and he's a stranger in that aspect um but i'm I'm glad it wasn't just like a random poor choice true true so speaking of how our feelings changed as this you know with season two what did you both think about season two generally did you like how it changed from this focus of the you know internal prosecution corruption to this conflict between the two branches of the prosecution of the police and who gets more power and how corruption works in that structure. So um, now that Tom, some time has passed and it's all finished, it might sound weird, but um, I'm finding it really hard to uh, re-deconstruct the season. I don't know if that's a word. Is that is that a word? Re-deconstruct the season? It is now. It is now. <laughs> I just coined the word. Yeah. yeah, it's like um, it's like the whole thing's a puzzle and I finished it and now I can see the elephant and it can't be the pieces of the elephant anymore. So for me, season one and season two are just this cohesive whole and it's probably because season two is very much a natural extension of season one and it's sort of built so brilliantly on season one. None of the decisions in it to me seem gimmicky, nor do they seem like they were chosen just to generate conflict, which is what you get in a lot of season twos when they make changes. They make that just to generate conflict to try to drive the narrative. But these all seem organic. And because of that, it seems an organic extension, a natural continuation of season one. And so for me, all of it is kind of merged. I'm finding it hard to re-deconstruct it, to look at the individual (laughs) elements, because to me, it's just become this single body of work. I don't know if anybody else feels that way. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I I loved season two. And I was actually re-watching season one while waiting for new episodes of season two. So season one is like a little more fresh um, in my mind. And yeah, both seasons were different. Like season two felt decidedly less action heavy. Um, but that didn't mean it was uneventful. And as with all of Isun's shows, I feel like the themes are always really timely. I'm always impressed by how deep she dives into the intricacies of the prosecutor v. police conflicts. And even in her interviews, like, she states that she does extensive research. Like, she would go to the law school libraries and just dig in. And I feel like season two mostly took place indoors, which kind of limits all the high drama and like action, like in an office and conference rooms, the drama was always there and the stakes were always like really palpable. And I loved season two, even though it was drastically different from season one. And I'm kind of glad that it was different. It made sense. And like Lee said, it did feel like a continuation that was organic. Yeah, they did pull off this really delicate balancing act of doing something different enough that it was interesting while also keeping it feeling like the same show. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think they would have, if they had tried to just do the same, I mean, what would they have done? They would have done the same story. Like, I feel like season one really encapsulated so many things about the experience of how corruption works in a structure like this. And it did such a complex and deep exploration of it, like you said, Yuna, that what else could they have done to top that? I don't think they could have, right? So this way, it was moving the focus to a different sphere and still talking about the same issues, but looking at how they played out in a different setting. And it it kind of made it bigger in a way Mm -hmm. um, without making it feel too zoomed out from like things that actually matter and without making it too impersonal. So I think it really, it really worked well. And, and it does, it flows so well into each other. Like there's, oh, it's just so good. I agree. Like it didn't feel too macro because if you think about it, this prosecution v. police issue is not something that we have like in the States or I don't know if they have this in Australia, but I'm going to assume they don't. 
And so for us to really be pulled into this storyline that is so uniquely Korean, um, I think is a huge feat. And they also had a different director for season two. And we noticed that change in direction, but it wasn't distracting at all. And I thought it made sense. His directorial choices made sense. Agreed. Uh, in fact, from a um, technical perspective, I think maybe season two, well, I thought the the writing in season two was more, more skillful. I think she's become a better writer, which is not to reflect poorly on season one, which, which I thought was brilliant. But I think that her technical writing skills are actually better. She thought the writing in season two was really finely tuned to a far greater level. But also with the direction, I know some people struggled with the direction in season two because it was different from season one. But somebody mm. said to me, and I thought it was a really, really good point, when they were watching season two and they felt that real sense of of uh, claustrophobia in particular, that mm -hmm. really stressful feeling of claustrophobia that we get uh, when we see things from Shamuk's point of view and that the last time they felt that was when they were watching Just Dance, which was this uh, director's last piece of work, that sense of uh, the world sort of closing in on you and um, of not being able to, to find a way out, um, the really, really sort of mm. stressful feeling of it. And I think that that's a really great element that the director brought to this particular season, especially since so much of it was about putting us in the male lead's headspace so that we could understand when he had his, um, his moments where he just completely broke down and his brain basically uh, couldn't cope with what was going on around mm. him. And I think that the director did that really well. I mean, not just the director, obviously, the writers, the actors, the editing in particular was really, really good. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was really great at creating that sense of feel of being in that fog, which is something that they carried through right from that first scene. And and it's especially important, I think, with a character like Shimok, where he doesn't give you a lot, even though, I mean, I, I don't know how this man does it. He can give you... Like, does it all. <laughs> Joe Sung-ho can, can express like 10 emotions with like barely moving his with, face. Like a tiny twitch of an eyebrow I, or something. I, yeah, I don't know like what magic this is, but uh, but still like, you know, that he doesn't give you a lot mm. of emotion because that's just not his character. So when you have such a, a, a character who doesn't really express a lot, the directing and the writing and the editing, as you said, is doing a lot of work. And they really, really did a great job with that. I agree. And like mm -hmm. about what you said in terms of her writing getting better, it does feel a little more subtle in this, this season, but also like unsurprising because Stranger season one was her first drama ever, oh, which yeah. just like blows my mind. Like it's the first thing she like it was her first screenplay. Mm -hmm. I to just quit writing i know <laughs> just like she's one of those writers that makes me feel like why do i even bother <laughs> right and um lee i love that you mentioned the fog because that was literally the first thing we see in episode one and i just felt like that was such a perfect metaphor for the entire series and i thought what you said about that feeling of claustrophobia was really interesting because I mean there's nothing more claustrophobic than being in a room with a bunch of people and you just can't come to terms with them and it's just constant back and forth and there's just no there's just no end in sight and that is just sometimes how the world works no one wants to give even an inch and it and it's like Given that they did spend so much time in conference rooms mm -hmm. and in meetings and in cars and in offices, like, you know, not like season one where you had all of that, but you also had, you know, like uh, Yojin and Shimok actually, you know, pounding the pavement, yeah. looking up clues and investigating crime scenes. And so there was much less of that, but they still managed to keep that like tension and excitement and, you know, all of that really, really strong. For like sure. it was never boring because never. they were sitting in rooms talking at desks. Mm -mm. And there was that uh, there was that one scene later in the show where Dongjae was still missing, and they all got ordered off the case and got sent back into that conference room to talk about the whole police prosecution thing. And that whole just that surreal feeling of being stuck in that room with people talking about things that at this particular point just don't seem to matter at all, and that tension that just built and built and built over that whole thing until Shmuk had his total breakdown. That for me was that moment where I was like oh all of this is deliberate you know so brilliantly done and so 
um, planned that you're supposed to feel that way. And the whole show had moments of that where this tension would build up from just being stuck in a room and uh, being trapped somewhere rather than action scenes. Yeah, and the attention to detail, like even small details like, um, I think you brought it up, Lee, where they were talking about, somebody had mentioned how it was like the reason that Yojin's hair was so long was mm. to like show the weight of the years that have passed since the last time we've seen her and how she feels sort of weighed down by everything. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, details like when there's a bunch of people in a room and like the way they look at each other and like the tense dynamics between like there's so much unsaid. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of my favorite things about season one and season two is that there's always so much unsaid, but you can see it and feel it. And it's um, extremely powerful. And it's, it's down to the cast, honestly, because they could have had, you know, a drama where there had to be a lot of things on set and the cast just couldn't pull it off. But all of these actors are like A plus, 100 percent amazing people who can just do anything. They're phenomenal. And I feel like you can drop them in any room and they can just create something so interesting. And sorry, I keep going back to like the writer interviews, but she does always like shower praise on like Chosungu and Hebuna because she I mean she says this repeatedly that they really elevated her material which was already good to begin with um, and that is really any writer's or creator's dream to have a cast do that yeah so how did we feel about Shimok and Yojin's dynamic because I know that was one of the things that we really loved is their relationship building over season one how did we feel about how little of I mean they didn't get to spend much time together this season right what did you guys think about that you're right, they did spend more time apart this season for obvious reasons because they were on opposite sides. Um, but I think because that was the fact, I really cherished the moments that they were together, whether it was, you know, for food or case-related matters. And it was nice to see Shimok like eating with ease for once. <laughs> and he's really only able to do that with Yojin, and I love that. And like you said, Anissa, earlier that a lot is unsaid. I feel that it's because Shimok knows Yajin and they're at this level of friendship where they don't have to say everything to know what the other person's feeling. And even when they're just like standing or sitting in silence, it's like really poignant and emotional and we just get how they're feeling. Yeah. From a pure fangirl perspective, I would have liked to have seen more of them together, obviously. I mean, those those moments when they are together they're just the best moments in the series I think they're the ones that really speak to you so powerfully they're so well as you said you know they're poignant but from a thematic perspective I thought the separation and the eventual coming together really worked and it it also worked from a human perspective because as old friends you might be happy to see each other but you also need a moment to work out how your new lives and your new selves mesh especially since both of them are in different jobs now they're on the different sides of this whole police prosecutor argument and so they needed a moment to sort of work out how they fit into each other's lives now they had a disconnect there and that needed some time to sort of work itself out but um over the season we sort of saw them overcoming that and realizing that those differences mattered less than their partnership because they are just such perfect natural partners and there's a scene later on, I think, where, where Yojin is investigating the, the crime scene and Shamuk comes up in his car and he gets out, he walks up beside her and they just don't say anything to each other. They just start working the crime scene together. It's just this unspoken like, oh, yeah, we're just going to work the case now. And they just they just slip into it so naturally. And it's just mm-hmm. kind of beautiful and really subtle. Um, and I love those moments between them. So, yeah, I mean, I could have I could have happily had a whole season of just those moments. But I think it, it works better the way that, that they did it. Mm-hmm. And they built such a strong rapport in season one yeah. that it really adds to the pathos in season two that they can't be together. Mm-hmm. You know, like I felt more like yearning and like pain <laughs> in my heart than I have for like most of the romantic pairings that I've cared about in my mm-hmm. life. Like I was dying for them to get back into a place where they could work together. And so like that was kind of the emotional core of season two, right? Mm-hmm. Is that you're seeing the the structure of the, the police and the prosecution, which are supposed to work together. Um, it's broken. They're not working together and it's not working in a way that actually creates justice. But for everyone around Shimok and Yojin who, who knows them, they're like, oh, like this is how this is how it can work. 
if only we could all be like this. Mm-hmm. Um, except they're too overcome by like greed and personal interests and personal ambition to, to, you know, actually do that. But yeah, I think I agree with you both that even though those were the best moments when they actually did get together and like, you know, eat things mm-hmm. like that was the only time when they were together when they could actually like set down their burdens and breathe mm-hmm. and like just feel some relief from like this constant feeling of having to be on guard around literally everyone else that they work with it did i felt like i could breathe yeah in those moments it's like you could exhale when they're together exactly and then you're just like oh i have to hold my breath again now for every other scene so um it worked really well it did provide that like sort of emotional contrast that made that made it a really exciting watch and we we know that these two people are just two people who want to be good at their jobs they don't want other things which is a whole other conversation that we could have you know Shimuk because of his um his brain damage, obviously, but Eugene, because she just wants to be a really good cop. And so because that's all they want, when they get together, they're just such the perfect example of how the system was supposed to work, that the police would investigate, hand it over to the prosecution, the prosecution would impartially go in and and look over all the evidence and ask all the right questions and act as a break on the police. And so it's sort of like, this is how it's supposed to work, but it's only going to work in this perfect world that doesn't actually exist it only exists with these two people and I really like the way that they use that partnership to sort of show that Mm -hmm. and I feel like anytime the two were together there were some like really cute and sweet moments for instance Shimok finally got to eat properly and we got to see him smile like a genuine smile which made my heart sore. (laughs) Yeah, so actually, I'm glad you brought up that smile because I wanted to talk about that as well. It's really interesting how, I think one of the things I really liked about this is, I mean, they're not a typical, I mean, they don't have the typical buddy cop dynamic Mm -mm. at all. But if you think about it, it's kind of that structure at the basis, right? Mm -hmm. Where like they meet in season one, they don't know if they can trust each other, but they end up working together. And then by the end, they're like besties Mm -hmm. forever. Um, But I find a lot of times in sequels, they just keep repeating that dynamic. Yeah. So like that happens the first time they meet in like the first movie or the first season or the first, you know, uh, you know, whatever. And then the next time you see them, like something has happened and they hate each other again mm-hmm. or like there's some random weird conflict that they have to overcome. And so they're kind of just repeating the same friendship building over mm-hmm. and over again, which they didn't do that here. They no. really there was like a forward movement and a development in their friendship. It was organically coming out of what they were doing in their lives and how they had changed and like new things that they had to face. So for example, Shimok was kind of just himself. This time he didn't really have to deal with the kind of the shock that he went through in season one where, you know, one of his most Mm -hmm. trusted mentors ended up being, you know, someone that he hadn't expected him to become and then having to face the fact that he like committed suicide right in front of his eyes and that he mm-hmm. ended up having to, you know, gather all that evidence himself. But then in this season, it was Yojin who had like advanced, you know, in a way that made basically all of her professional life, uh, all of her professional relationships really uncomfortable. Like her relationships with her former team in the police station became uncomfortable. And then like her relationship with uh, Chebit was also very tense and like Mm -hmm. she really you know looked up to her but then like there was all these situations where she was like not entirely sure if she could trust her 100 Mm percent um so it was much more stressful for her so like because they were in different positions like that scene at the end where she's just where those two jerks basically take Mm -hmm. her into the conference room and say those horrible things to her and she's just like crying alone oh that was that was hard to watch but you know like I kind of rambled on a little bit, but my point is they keep moving forward and their relationship is developing instead of them just redoing that like cliched buddy cop and prosecutor dynamic. For sure. And I feel like, you know, season two could have gone horribly wrong and off the rails because it's like the curse of the sequel. Like it's so hard to live up to everything that was done so well in season one and I feel like what drove Shimok and Yojin apart was never personal. I think that's why it didn't feel weird because um, mm. the two aren't the type to like get mad or not talk to each other for some little like personal tiff or anything. Yeah, there was no manufactured conflict. No. And what drove them apart was this very timely issue that's been affecting the whole country. Um, and like the nature of their jobs. Not that 
they would let anything personal get in between them because they're like two very professional, like very mature human beings. But you're so right in that there was always a progression like in their relationship and in just the story. Like everything was always moving forward. Yes. Oh, and two moments that I want to just point out and then we can go into like our favorite things about the season, which is one is after he has that dream where he mm-hmm. sees, you know, sort of all the people that he's lost. Um, you know, he sees Lee Chang Jun and Shin Hye Sun's character. Mm-hmm. I can't remember her name now from season one. And um, Dong Jae, who is still missing at that point. And he basically just like talks to Yojin about the grief that they both feel mm-hmm. for. Oh, my gosh. What was her name? I can't remember now. But Shin Hye Sun's character, the prosecutor who gets murdered in season one. Yes. And they just kind of acknowledge how hard that was for them. And I was like, oh my gosh, he's growing. I'm so proud. <laughs> and then at the end of the season where he goes he goes to that new, um, the new assignment that he is where I think it's like Wanju or something. And he meets this, you know, prosecutor that he used to work with in season one. And they like have a little reunion and he smiles by himself yep. without a picture for reference. And I was like, oh. So just speaking of development, like I liked those little subtle signs that he's also like learning and growing and you know kind of adjusting himself those moments were everything and um shinazan's character she played uh young unsu that's right unsu that's right yes just to say i agree with everything you said anisa <laughs> okay so favorite moments what were your favorite moments or favorite things about the season so I'm going to be, well, I'm one track this evening, but, you know, it was the way the whole thing meshed together and felt like a culmination. But there's also enough space in that to build up another season. Um, I told you, I'm having trouble re-deconstructing it, which is my new word. It's a good word. <laughs> it's a good word. But also, um, parts of this season were surprisingly funny. In the beginning of the season, more mm-hmm. so than at the end, but uh, I don't remember laughing so much in season one as I did at the beginning of season two. Uh, parts of it were really, really funny. And there were some episodes uh, in the earlier episodes where I laughed a lot. I was not expecting that at all. The humor was great. Yes, the humor was great. And I feel like whenever Tongje appears, I'm just smiling because he is, he is what he is. He's our slimy weasel. And I guess for me, my favorite thing about this season, besides everything, it was just the slow but really satisfying burn and different feel from season one, um, but still the same high caliber writing and thematic exploration. I also love the new cast members. I loved Uteha and Chebit. And yeah, it's almost easier to like review a drama that was terrible because then you have more things to say besides like (laughs) this was so good but everything was so good everything was so good and I I'm just gonna sound like a broken record because everything was so good (laughs) that's so true I agree like my favorite thing is also everything (laughs) (laughs) I have so much more to say if dramas are bad it's so true yeah it's very true yes um but I'm gonna have to go with the weasel I'm going to have to go with Tongjae because... Fair enough. <laughs> he just made me light up every time I saw him. Light up and or just be like, Ooh. So mm-hmm. that was my like my hardest breaking expression that I was doing in the camera that you can't see. Um, but I think he really gave an energy to this season that was very sorely needed because of how tense it was mm-hmm. and how, how much time our protagonist spent you know, apart and wishing that they could be together. And um, just given how many players there were, like Mm -hmm. there were a lot of characters in this season. I don't necessarily think there were more characters, but I feel like there were more moving parts that kind of had to be juggled in terms of like, it wasn't like this one straightforward murder investigation that kind of starts spreading more and more and becomes more complex over the season like it was in season one. But it was like all these different people jockeying for, you know, power and position and, you know, having these different agendas Mm -hmm. and they're all kind of like, you know, butting up and butting heads against each other. So he really brought this like uncomplicated joy a lot of way in a lot of ways mm-hmm. where like you know for example when he goes and sees um Yeonjae who's the you know the CEO of, of Hanjo yeah. and like he just goes in and he's like trying to angle for his best advantage mm-hmm. and it's just like kind of looking at him and he's like just being his ridiculous funny self mm-hmm. 
And you can just see how like she sizes him up like immediately, but she's like just is kind of enjoying him. And I'm like, I'm also just enjoying this. Like, (laughs) exactly. And then I didn't expect him to like kind of break our hearts, you know? And Mm -hmm. he had he had an arc. Like in season one, he was a pretty you know, he was that character who like thinks about reforming, but in the end, eh, he doesn't really reform and who's kind of a symbol of how the system never really changes that much and mm-hmm. people don't really change that much and they always like fall back on their old ways. Right. But in this one, you kind of saw how over time the events of season one actually did really hit him hard and impact him and how he did sort of change and even if on the surface he kind of had some of that old like cheekiness and mm-hmm. sort of um sliminess or whatever but like he was kind of downcast or he was kind of like ragged and weary a little bit and you saw him you know like trying to deal with like school bullying and you saw him as like you know husband and a father you got to see so many more things about him without losing like mm-hmm. the essence of what that character is and why we enjoy him so much and his like hilarious dynamic with Shimok like stealing his food and you know just like everything about how like he's actually his sunbae which like cracked me up so I much still I still forget like, that I was like what because <laughs> Joseon was older than uh Ijun Hyuk right I think so yeah yeah I think I looked this up because I was like wait <laughs> he's his sunbae <laughs> what just everything about him I'd forgotten that as well that he was yeah but I feel like the the first half of the season in particular was had all of these moments that were very philosophical uh, people sort of making philosophical statements about big picture stuff. And you really needed this person to come in and, and just be gleeful. And that's what he was. He was just gleeful, gleefully himself, gleefully Weasley. Mm. It really broke up that purely philosophical sort of conversation. And also I think his his character is really well-developed in that you know why he wants to weasel his way in everywhere and you know what motivates him and you know how he's changed subtly because of things of season one and that he is he does actually trying to be a good prosecutor and trying to do his job properly and that sort of gets revealed more over the season as well you know even while he's running around desperately trying to to find a new sponsor I guess to take him under their wing yeah and um going back to what you both touched on about how he sort of provided that relief from the mounting tension he also added to the tension because I didn't see his kidnapping coming at all and I actually really loved that twist and it made me realize how much I loved him as a character because oh my god if he died in this season I would have I would have been so upset you know what also I think like his kidnapping I agree I did not see that coming and his kidnapping I think it made us realize how much we loved yes. him it also made like the characters realize how much <laughs> they loved him because they were like oh my gosh like this annoying guy who's always hanging around trying to get things out of us like oh we actually really kind of love him and miss him yeah <laughs> and we want him to be okay so that was uh an interesting sort of meta level to it yeah and like even the characters were at some point like frustrated that they still hadn't found him or like their supervisors above them weren't that worried that he was still missing for so long. And we obviously know why. But yeah, we love our Tongje. <laughs> and that's amazing, right? Because in season one, I hated his character with a passion. <laughs> I was actually looking back over some comments that I wrote on recaps on season one. And I hated mm-hmm. him so much. I wanted <laughs> him to rot in jail forever um (laughs) at the time especially for the first more than half of season one Mm -hmm. he was like a total villain he was with a really punchable face (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i'm i'm definitely watching everything ijanyak does from now until the end of time oh same he's the best yes and this kind of leads us to our one complaint right is that we didn't really get to see him in the last couple of episodes Mm -hmm. yeah since he was missing No, even like after he he found he's found at the end of episode fourteen, right? Um, and then for all oh, of yes. fifteen, I was waiting to see him, and he doesn't show up at all in fifteen. And then in sixteen, you just see him like in that one scene where he's mm-hmm. still in the coma, and Yeonjae goes to visit him and talk to him and basically tell him like wake up. And then the end where you don't get to see whether he's what he says, yeah, <laughs> what he's gonna what he's gonna decide, yeah. And I mean, I get I get the reason for that. They clearly wanted to leave some ambiguity about the character and whether or not he would rejoin the dark side. But that meant he had to be kept almost completely out of the final episodes. And so 
I understand why when we got to that final scene and you have that moment where it's just like, will he or won't he? And they just cut it and that was perfect. It was an absolutely perfect ending. Um, so I get why they did it, but I would have loved to have seen and hear more from him, um, especially to hear his perspective yeah. about what he mm-hmm. went through. So, yeah, I, I understand why he did it, but I, I definitely was waiting to see more of him in those episodes and I was quite I was a bit disappointed that we didn't get it or even just to see him waking up and his family being like you're alive Mm -hmm. thank god you know like that would have it soothed my feelings a little bit it's all about my feelings of course (laughs) I wanted I wanted a scene of him with Schmock for no other reason than just those two are actually comedy gold together it's some champagne comedy whenever yeah yeah that's right they never like re reunited they didn't actually get to have oh that's missed opportunity and season three season yes three, all the more reason for season three and shimok was so stressed about him being missing and it was an emotion that he didn't even realize in himself and sort of had to come to terms with the fact that yes he was actually really worried about him being missing so you know he was he was safe and he was alive and i was waiting for them to be a scene where shimok would be like oh good i'm relieved this is this yeah. is relief that i'm feeling i think yojin explain my emotions to me yeah, I, I wonder if they just had so many plot threads to wrap up in like episode 15 with, you know, the they did have everything a lot of with, plot you know, <laughs> what happened in the past and with the two, you know, their supervisors and what they had done. And But it's a shame that we didn't get that for sure. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier that there were so many moving parts and there really were. And the fact that she, the writer, just like masterfully like maneuvered all the chess pieces in a way that made narrative sense and it didn't feel like for instance like one case got more attention than like another case is just I find that brilliant because I mean it's so many things to keep track of it really really is so what are we I mean I don't think I need to ask if there should be a season three I think we've already you know all heartily agreed that there should be definitely a season three definitely do you know did you see those like interviews right around the time that this started airing of like the cast and they were all like they were all telling um joseph like you wanted there to be a season two are you happy and he was like no it was so much work the script was so hard yeah but like, <laughs> he was like pouting he actually like after season one came out and they won like all the awards i think in an acceptance speech chosen was said he wanted five seasons and so I, st- I I want five seasons. I want five seasons too. Yeah. I just thought he wanted a season two, but um, good for you, Chisungu. He called go, it. It's out big. in the universe, so I want it to happen now. And I think she set it up nicely for season three to be about the corporations and the impact that they have on corruption and the corrupting influence of, of the large corporations. I think I think she yeah. set that up. She set that up nicely. Obviously, there should be a season three. That's a good point. And if anyone can make uh, like table corruption not boring, it's Isuyun. Yep. Yep. And also like another thing that it might be interesting to see, which totally goes into the opposite direction of what you were suggesting, Lee, is to actually see Shamok in this like small prosecutor's office out in like, you know, in a small city or in like a rural mm-hmm. office and just kind of dealing with the day to day of, uh, you know, refusing to play into the politics, which can often be even more kind of entrenched in the small office and just like being himself and dealing with sort of like the daily less apocalyptic stories of you know what happens in these in these smaller offices that might be interesting and also just to kind of dig deeper into what Tong Jae was saying about how prosecutors are constantly being shifted to different offices and so they can never really settle in one place and how hard that can be like on their family lives that I thought was interesting yeah so I, I think Isuan can clearly do anything. So if she wants to go big and talk about, you know, the impact of corporations on Korean politics and justice, which is like a really huge, important issue, she could do that. Um, if she wants to have a small comedic story about Shimok in the countryside, <laughs> I would watch that too. And I think it would be amazing. I would watch the heck out of that. Yeah. Because um, I feel like when you're living in, I don't know, the boonies, the cases that probably land on his desk are like, obviously smaller in scale, maybe more mundane and kind of not an issue, but still an issue. Um, it'd be it'd be so funny to see him take on those smaller cases. Yes, yeah, season one was kind of like everything is connected, um, uh, which if Sire was here, we would totally uh, bond over our love of dark. This is not about dark. 
Um, yeah, season one was everything is connected. <laughs> season two was uh, nothing is connected. And it was a really nice counterpoint to the first season. Looked at the whole thing from a different perspective. So, yeah, season three could be could be something sort of uh, looking at the much smaller micro level of the whole thing or they could go big. But, yeah, I trust this writer more than any other writer in Korea, possibly more than any other writer Me too. ever. So I know Me she'll too. come up with something good. If she takes the time to, to come up with it, I'm sure that it will be amazing and I'm willing to wait for her to work it out. It will be frustrating, but I'm willing to wait for her so that when it comes, it will be really good. Yes, 100%. This one was definitely worth the wait. Like, I, I was dying. I was like, it's been a year. It's been two years. It's been three years. But, like, it was worth waiting three years for. A hundred percent. The wait for season two was excruciating. Like, this was what I was looking forward to the most. And I think, Lee, you're right. Like, if she needs a year or two for season three... I will wait, but it's gonna it's gonna suck. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll get Signal to finally in the oh, meantime. Yeah, Signal to. If they ever actually announce a premiere date for that. Any other thoughts on this on this drama before we wrap up? You know, I think we did really I think we did uh, quite a comprehensive work on the on the reviews and the reviews are great. But there was one thing that I um, sort of wanted to pick up in the reviews but we didn't sort of get around to it. And that was um, that the show has references in it to Crime and Punishment, the novel by Dostoevsky. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know uh, how familiar you are with Crime and Punishment. I have read it. Read it in high yeah, school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Read it a really long time ago. <laughs> and uh, there's this uh, sort of philosophical position underpinning a lot of it. I'm no Russian literature scholar, by the way. And as I said, it's been a while since <laughs> I actually read it. But... Um, there's this philosophical position that the murderer in it holds that um, superior humans can commit crimes for the greater good, but not so much, but it's not that they do it for the greater good, but that because they do it, it's for the greater good. And uh, there's an interesting quote in Crime and Punishment from the murderer who espouses this particular philosophy. And he says something like, well, Napoleon's crimes were justifiable because he's Napoleon. And ordinary people like me aren't Napoleon, to which the investigator in that replies to him something like, all men think they're Napoleon. And <laughs> yeah, and then later on, um, the perpetrator basically admits that, yeah, he does want to be Napoleon. He sees men wield power without consequence, and he wants to prove that he has that same greatness, that there is no good or evil. Mm. There's just those that dare to act and those that don't. And of course, Shimok actually references this particular crime and this particular philosophy in the show, uh, in one of the interrogations, when he's talking to one of the cops from the precinct where the young officer committed suicide, he's talking about the bullying and the suspicion that maybe he was murdered. And he says um, that, you know, are you like this guy who killed the pawnbroker? And do you think this this was a justifiable crime for, for the greater good, for the for the good of society as a whole? So that's when he mentions it, and they do say that it came from crime and punishment at the time. But I think it uh, mostly relates to um, Teha's story and the way that it was sort of representative of prosecutor exceptionalism, that he did what he did because he thought that he was the great man to do it, mm-hmm. that there, there's sort of no right or wrong, there's just those who act. And I thought that that was uh, mm-hmm. a really interesting sort of undercurrent through the whole thing and also that she threw it in there. She obviously did it deliberately in terms of drawing on the text in the show. Yeah, there's that conversation that Simok has with Uteha when he figures out that it was him and he kind of admits that it was him. It's in Uteha's office, right? Clear near to the end. And I can't remember now. It's been so many weeks since we since we reviewed it, but like he basically says like anyone would have done it. Like and basically justifies it, mm-hmm. you know. And like that's one of the things about his character is that he's so arrogant and he feels like he's above everyone else. Mm-hmm. And so he has a right to, even though he says like anyone would have done it, but he feels like he has a right to do things that other people would get in trouble for. Yes. Just like you said, Lee. And Shibok basically just calls BS on that. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, that's BS. Like, 
So it's it's it is a really interesting takedown because I think one of the things that we really saw in um, one of the things that the show really did a good job illustrating is the sort of elite status of prosecutors in Korea mm-hmm. and how so much of that is built from like, you know, the the kind of education that you have to have in order to become a prosecutor and the kind of status it gives you in society and the kind of arrogance that it gives prosecutors mm-hmm. um, and the way they kind of protect each other with these like elite um, school, like university networks. And then mm-hmm. how it kind of in contrast with, you know, police who tend to be I mean, they also have to, you know, train and take an exam and stuff, but they don't have the same kind of status that prosecutors have. And so, like, it's not only a matter of like who gets the investigation rights. They also have this kind of subtle almost like class warfare mm-hmm. that's happening under the surface, which is really interesting when you see these prosecutors kind of acting with no regard for anything except their own desires because they feel like they can and they've been told, you know, their entire careers that they have the right to, basically. And you kind of saw that in season one too, right? With Lee Chang-jun basically deciding to take justice in his own hands and sort of orchestrate everything that happened in order to, you know, for the greater good or whatever. Yeah, and it was it was interesting at the end of that season two where they asked him if they think that he was a hero because of the things that he did. And he says just bluntly, no, he was he was a monster. Mm. So that uh, the the rejection of that whole philosophy, I think, is really what defines Shibuk in in contrast to, to many of the other prosecutors and some of the judges that we saw in this season as well. Absolutely. And yet it's not even that clear, right? Because at the end of season two, we get that quote from Lee Chang-jun, which I can't remember if it's the last line of the drama, but it's in one of the last scenes mm-hmm. where he's talking about how you if you know if you wanna if you wanna pursue justice, you have to be like a needle that's always, you know, moving forward with like sharp I can't remember the exact metaphor, but it was beautifully said. And I mean, so he still kind of carries that philosophy of of justice that he learned from Lee Chang-jun, even if Lee Chang-jun himself couldn't live up to that, you know. But she, for Shimok, that's like something that he remembers and he carries with him, which I thought was oh, just so, just so, it's just so good. The writing is just, I mean, every line of dialogue, sometimes I would just like pause it and be like, oh my God, I need to write that down. <laughs> so good let me just watch that again yeah the writing is brilliant and i know what line you're talking about i have it pulled up right here (laughs) and um anisa i don't know if it was you that translated it but i thought the translation was perfect i'll read it if you don't mind because yes please go ahead okay please go ahead doggedly chasing the truth and marching towards what's right is a never-ending process to stop even for a moment is to fail Marching toward change is like having two needles for feet with an invisible thread trailing behind you, never stopping for a breath as you march on. In the belief that a handful of hope is better than immeasurable despair, we move forward with unwavering determination once again. I did not translate that, but I quoted it on our last review because and like shout out to whoever translated these episodes, especially the uh, the translations in the last episode were so good. Yeah, and sometimes they can be really hit or miss, but yeah, that translation was well done. That quote actually bookended the show. So they started the show with that quote mm. and then they ended it with that quote as well, which I thought was a really interesting choice in terms of the the idea that this is this is never ending. We came into it saying this is never ending and then we ended it in almost exactly the same place, which in season one frustrated me no end. But in season two, I actually thought it was kind of perfect that we almost ended it in almost exactly the same places, like the story happened, unfolded, someone's corruption got exposed, some bad guys got put into jail, but nothing has really changed. And that drove me bananas mm-hmm. at the end of season one. But at the end of season two, I actually thought it was perfect and really powerful. And then to end it with that quote saying, yeah, this quest for justice, we don't just, it doesn't finish. We don't go, yay, we beat the bad guys, Mm-mm. let's all go on with our lives now it's just it's never ending it's going to keep going because the system itself has not changed Mm -hmm. and in some ways it could be a little demoralizing but if you think about it from a perspective of like in reality what we have to do in order to fight for justice Mm -hmm. if you only have stories where you have you know one big 
you know, big baddie and everyone takes him down at the end and then everything is perfect and it's a happy ending. Like if you have only that kind of story to look to, then reality is going to be really tough to deal with. Yeah. Because in reality, like you just have to keep fighting and like it's it is a never ending struggle. Mm -hmm. So for me, I actually did find season one incredibly inspiring because it was like this is what it looks like mm -hmm. to continue to get up every day and and struggle to make the world a better place, even if you don't immediately see those results, or even if you never really see the results that you want to see, but like just having the courage to continue to, you know, pull that thread of justice behind you as much as you possibly can. And and hopefully like find some other like-minded people who are willing to go on that journey with you, right? Like that's, um, if you talk to anybody who does any kind of work in regards to, you know, fighting for justice mm -hmm. or fighting for people who are marginalized, like that's what they say is like, you have to have people around you who are supporting you. Otherwise you just get burned out. Yeah. So it is like, on one hand, it's tough and it's like maybe too realistic, but on the other hand, it's like, it's perfect and it's very inspiring. Mm -hmm. I, I love that Force of Secrets wasn't so optimistic. Like I love that it was real and it's so true like the struggle is even harder when you're doing it on your own because you have to shoulder everything and just to even have one other person with you in solidarity is a lot better and yeah I agree with you Anissa I found both seasons inspiring and this is coming from a very jaded person <laughs> I don't know like it just made me feel cautiously optimistic that the work never ends <laughs> and I know that can be somewhat depressing to consider, but I mean, this is the world we live in. There is endless work that needs to be done. And there are people that are doing the work and we may not always see it, but I don't know. The, the results do come about ultimately. Yeah, that's really well said. I think we can end it there unless um, one of you has some additional points to add. No, no, I think I think that's a great place to end it. The the system the system may be broken or the system may be dented a little bit, but there are people like Shmok and Yojin out there who are still fighting the good fight. And I do think that that's a really well. I found it a really powerful message at the end, particularly season two. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I think it's uh, probably a message that all of us need to hear in 2020. In 2020, for feel sure. Feel the way that they do. Yeah. Well, I think we could probably talk about this show forever, but I don't want to take any more of your time, um, especially I know it's past midnight for you. Yes, Lee. it is. It is. It's <laughs> just looking clock going. <laughs> yep. It's officially it's officially Sunday now. Yes. Thank you for joining us both of you for making the time and I it was a really a lot of fun and I know I'm speaking for Saya as well we really had so much fun reviewing this show weekly with both of you and listeners definitely check that out on dramasoverflowers.net if you haven't seen them yet we had a blast writing about the weasel and about Shimok and Yojin and like biting our nails every week where can we find you both on the internet um I'm on twitter um at Lee Tennant Lee underscore Tennant and I also have a blog that even gets updated sometimes called The Invisible Pink Dragon. <laughs> and we'll link to that in the show notes. And Yuna? I am also on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Chigachanga. And I have an Instagram. And the handle is Unanimous. And they are both puns of my name. <laughs> <laughs> we love puns around here. And you can find me on Twitter at Anisa Khalifa underscore. And you can find the podcast on Twitter at Dramas Overflow. You can find us on Instagram at Dramas Overflowers underscore. And you can also find us on Facebook. And as I mentioned before, check out our reviews um, and other fun stuff on the website at dramasoverflowers.net. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you for having me. It's been great. Yes. And hopefully we can have you both back soon again to talk about another show that we love. For sure. If not season three. Season <laughs> Maybe before three. season three. <laughs> yeah. All right, everyone. Bye. 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 Dramas Over Flowers is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.